0: I'm not like Mr. Christmas. I know Joe would listen to Christmas carols all year round, which is kind of lame if you ask me, but that's Joe. Um, but once Thanksgiving hits, I'm all in, right? I don't want you to think I'm a Scrooge. I, I like the Christmas season. I love the candlelight services, even going back to when I was a little kid. Um, one of my favorite meals of the year, we always do Christmas Eve at my parents' house. And it's always just like finger foods, kind of the, the shrimpies and the crackers and summer sausage and things like that. Just love that. Just love. A chance to just chill. We're going to get a chance to chill over the next couple weeks, which is a big deal for our family. And then you, you kind of start thinking about some of the Christmas memories. One of my earliest Christmas memories is our chimney catching on fire. I don't even know how old I was, but based on the house we were in, it had to be like 4 or 5 maybe. Um, and uh, we were just burning wrapping paper in our, in our fireplace. No big deal, right? And then two firemen showed up at our house <laughs> and they were like, uh, you got some flames coming out the top of your chimney. So that was exciting. And now that I'm older and, and we've actually got firefighters in our family, I'm thinking, man, that, I'm sure that was their favorite thing to do is have to leave their house on Christmas Day because the idiot Powells were burning their house down. Um, yeah, uh, Christmases were just some ridiculous gifts for my parents. They are great gift givers. I remember coming downstairs to a couple little motorcycles one time and as a kid, you're like... Were those in the attic? What's going on? Where were you hiding those things? Just great gifts over the years. Uh, I remember our first Christmas uh, when I was at Cornerstone, I couldn't wait to get back to school for the J term because there was a girl I had to convince to fall in love with me. And I was like, I got to get back before she gets back and starts meeting other guys. And I I, I think it worked. I convinced her. I remember another Christmas uh, telling my family that I had gotten that girl pregnant. And uh, th- we, were, we were married, relax, okay. <laughs> just everybody settled down. It was okay. It was all, it was all okay. But it was just an exciting time. So lots, lots of memories around the Christmas season and, and certainly praying for that kind of a week for you guys as we, as we kind of go through the next couple weeks. And kids on Christmas break, holiday break, whatever they call it these days. School off. I don't know. What's legal now, huh? Whatever. Um, but today I, I'm going to jump right in um, uh, I got a short talk. I figured the music would go along, which it needed to. It was so good. Uh, so, just, we're, we're wrapping up Malachi. And, and as we go into chapter four today, it, it, what God hits on today follows up on all the things that we've been talking about, where God has revealed what He's been seeing in humanity, what's he, what He's been seeing even in the midst of His own people broken religion, broken relationships, a broken world, those people who have chosen to live outside of the covenant relationship with God, and even issues with those people inside that covenant relationship where they've been unfaithful to him. Their their faith doesn't look the way it should. And as we talked about last week, it needs a little refining. It needs to be cleaned up a little bit. needs a little laundry of soap. needs to be put on trial. It's, It's that necessary rebuke that we see in the book of Malachi and the powerful reminder of how God is going to fix all of those issues. Right, and, and once again, as we get into chapter four, God goes a little bit revelation on us, goes a little bit apocalyptic on us, gets a little bit scary, but there's a reason for it. So let's jump right into Malachi chapter four, and we'll start in verse one. It says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Yes. Dream come true. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. So it sounds a little bit brutal, and it kind of is, the language that he chooses to use there. But what we need to do here to really understand why he's talking in this way is we need to compare it to the other covenant language that goes back through the Old Testament, the language God used when he was talking to Abraham and to Isaac and then kind of re-upping with Moses and the Israelites. Because as they're reading this, as they're hearing this read to them, this, this end of the book of Malachi, they'd be thinking about all these past conversations that happened throughout the Old Testament. And it's basically a pattern of if then, but if then. Okay, so so God comes along and and in the origination of the covenant back with Abraham and throughout some of these conversations that he has with his people, including Malachi, God God says, if you turn away, then I will send, fill in the blank, I will send consequences, I will send you into exile, I will allow these hurts and pains into your life. If you're going, if you choose to walk away from me, if you choose to reject me, then I will allow these things to happen. But... If you follow me, if you will obey, if you will live by faith, then I will bless, and I will save you, and I will honor you. God says at one point, those who honor me, I will honor. And that is consistent language, a consistent pattern throughout the Old Testament, all the way up here till the end of Malachi as the Old Testament closes out. And so in verse 1, he says, eventually I'm pulling the plug on all of this. Because of what people have chosen, because of those living outside of relationship with me, because of those who claim my name and yet have been unfaithful, because of everything I've seen, it's all going to end. I'm going to judge. I'm going to bring justice. There will be holy consequences for the decisions that people make. Every wicked scheme, every human plan, everything brought about by human wisdom is going to end. His patience will run out. It will ultimately fail. But the pattern continues. But for those who believe, for those who have real faith, who live by obedience, those who are faithful, a completely different scenario plays out. It's a scenario of victory. It's a scenario that ends with freedom. It's a scenario that includes life to the full that Jesus comes and promises in the book of John. Where there had been fear, where there had been oppression, where there had been frustration, now that's done. Now it's just Victory. Now, this passage, carry that over to Jesus' time as we get into Matthew when Jesus brings the Beatitudes. Things like the Beatitudes had to have dropped like a hit record for people of that time. Because they start hearing things like, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. That, that's different and yet familiar. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are the meek. This is completely opposite of the way things worked in the world. It's the, way, it's the opposite of the way things work in the world today. But in the day of the Lord... Everything gets switched up. And so some of those people had to have been thinking of Malachi 4 as Jesus is bringing this new teaching. Because it's new teaching. It's flipping things on their head. And yet, it's very similar to what God has been saying throughout all of time. And so they had to be thinking, man, this sounds kind of like that prophecy. It couldn't, couldn't really be. Could it? Or, or think about when the angels came declaring his birth. Or John the Baptist coming with his more apocalyptic tone. He, he talked the way this first few verses of Malachi 4 are talking. And all of those events, all of those things that happened early in the Gospels combined would bring those people back to the prophets. It would bring them back to passages like Malachi 4. And all of it was done. All of it tied together. All of it feeding off each other for a very specific purpose. He wanted them to process their past. He wanted them to process the present. He wanted them to process the future with the right things in mind, with the right heart, with the right mindset. He wanted them to remember what he's done, remember how this kind of message played out throughout all of history as God brought it. This kind of message might be intense. This kind of message might be a little bit scary. But through the, light re- the right lens of history, This type of message is celebratory. It's joyful. And it's the same for us. Because, you guys, if we honestly and genuinely study and process books like Malachi, books like Revelation, even things that Jesus has to say about the last days, of course there is a seriousness that comes with it, right? There are some dire warnings for those who choose to oppose God. But, gosh, if we should see life... We should live life. We should process life on this planet and the future through a completely different lens than the rest of the world. We should process life, past, present, and future through a different lens than a lot of Christians like to because a lot of Christians just freak out anytime anything happens, right? The liberals are coming. The liberals are coming, right? (laughs) We freak out whenever news happens, when current events go crazy and we're watching the news and stuff gets crazy. But here's the thing, at the end of these warnings... At the end of these rebukes, out of these promises that God makes in Malachi and other books, out of that comes the end of the story that we all hope for. Out of those things comes the end of the story that draws our hearts to Jesus and then drives us to share him with our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors and our friends and our cousins and all those that God has brought under our care. We see everything differently because of these warnings, because of these promises. He doesn't want us to look back on these things. The people in the Gospels, he didn't want them to look back on these things with fear and trembling, but with joy and celebration, knowing what comes with those promises. The end that comes with his story. I would compare it to one of my friends in high school, a guy named Adam. Great guy. Loved him. We we had lockers right next to each other. Kind of a youth group friend. But he was funny because he was uh, not quite 100% Scottish, but he was all in, right? He might as well be. He he was fully committed to that lineage and he was excited about that. And so for us, for him, a Scottish kid growing up in the 90s, the movie Braveheart was it. And some of you are too young for Braveheart. I want to encourage you, if you are of age, go back and watch Braveheart. Fantastic, just awesome movie. Um, But for people like me watching Braveheart, the end is kind of a bummer because the main character dies. I know I ruined it for you, but it's been 25 years. You should have caught it by now, right? <laughs> William Wallace dying is a major downer for people like me. You can't believe the hero is dead, the main character dies. Like part of you thinking, man, no sequel, right? This movie's amazing. He's supposed to end up, he's supposed to go to America and free the slaves next, right? Like William Wallace has a future story and yet he dies at the end of the movie. So for people like me, for people like you maybe... It's just kind of like, oh, that kind of stinks, like he doesn't get to be there for the end. But for Adam, it was different. For Adam's dad, it was different. For Adam's family tree, it was different. Sure, it would have been great for William Wallace to last through the whole movie and continue on and lead them into their final battles. But that downer, that frustration, that defeat, for them, it's simply a milestone towards their nation's independence. The evil in the the story is sad, but that's not the story for them. That's not what they focus on. What they focus on is the freedom at the end of the story, the victory at the end of the story, the deliverance that happens at the end of the story, William Wallace or no William Wallace, and that's us. At least it should be. See, evil is frustrating. You can't deny that scares us for us, scares us for our kids, scares us for our grandkids. We wonder what kind of world that they're stepping into, what kind of world that we're leaving for them. It bothers us because we can't just fix it. We can't just make it right. we, We wish we could flip a switch and convince them and make them understand just how precious unborn lives are. We wish we could get on a big megaphone and let them know how oppressive some of their policies are. We wish we could Fix the absolute mess of the foster care system. We wish we could do something about lies on television that go unchecked. We wish we could ask the ground to open up and swallow up child traffickers, right? Like go Old Testament on some people. We wish we could just fix things, but we can't. That should bother us. That should be something we pray over. That should be something we take action on when we're called to it. But not with an eye on defeat. Not with a vibe of pessimism. We look at those things with a heart that knows what's coming. Victory is coming. Jesus is coming. There's a uh, kind of a less used Christmas passage in Luke. It gets skipped over quite a bit, but it, it, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Luke 2.25, there's a man named Simeon, and uh, gives pretty decent background in the passage, so I'll just let it speak for itself. Luke 2.25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, when they brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. Here's the thing about this man, Simeon. Because of his age, because of that time period, he had seen some horrible things come through the land of Israel in his lifetime. See, in his lifetime, Jerusalem fell. In his lifetime, the oppression of Rome really ramped up in the area of Palestine. Herod had risen to power in his And so he had seen horrible things. This man had no reason for optimism. He had no reason for this type of response to this little baby unless he knew the end of the story, unless he knew how things would ultimately go. And when you know how things go, when you know what the end looks like, when you know how it, this all plays out, when you know that the promises will be kept, it changes things. And so Simeon didn't respond out of fear. He didn't respond out of pessimism. He didn't respond out of negativity. He responded out of joy and celebration because he saw the promises being fulfilled. Last couple of thoughts of the book, Malachi four, verses four and six, four to six. God goes back one more time to Moses and Elijah. It says, "'Remember the law of my servant Moses, "'the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb "'for all Israel. "'See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you "'before that great and dreadful day "'that the Lord comes.'" He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. He brings up Moses and Elijah. And and in these types of passages, when Moses comes up, it's talking about the law, trying to remind them of what God provided there. When Elijah comes up, it's kind of referencing the prophets and all that happened there. And coincidentally, both of those figures appear with Jesus at the transfiguration later on. Lots of really good stuff there that we'll have to come back to some other time. But he's saying, remember Moses? And the law that I gave you. Remember Elijah. Remember the covenant that I made and how I refreshed that through Moses by giving him the law. Remember the way Elijah cursed those evil kings and called God's people back to God's way. Remember the promises that I've made and the promises that I've kept. Remember the covenant that we entered into that I've promised to fulfill and He's remained faithful to throughout the generations. He says, I haven't forgotten. We hit Malachi 3:1 a little bit last week where God says I'm sending the messenger another one's going to come I'm going to send a prophet like Elijah who's going to prepare the way for the Messiah and then another one will come it'll be a prophet like Moses but far greater than Moses right he, he's he's going to make a new covenant So all of these things here mixed in with Malachi 4, he's he's trying to churn up all of these different thoughts that they've grown up hearing and learning about, that their ancestors lived through, a celebration point for them, points of tension for some of them. All of those types of things would have been stirred up inside of them, and he reminds, them, I'm going to make something new. And my new covenant will bring healing and forgiveness and restoration and newness and light He's going to come and he's going to provide the solution to all the mess that our boy Malachi has been talking about for the last three or four weeks. See, for the people of Malachi's time and all of those who would read it for the next 400 years before Jesus arrived, this was the promise they held on to. And for us, it's a little bit different because we look back on it and for us, it's a promise kept. And it's that promise that we celebrate on Christmas, a vision of the new covenant that we hold on to. Because for us, it's not a promise of someone who will come. It's that Jesus did come. He's the one that the Old Testament pointed to. He did show up and he did fulfill all the promises. Victory was won in his death on the cross. And so we have an opportunity to share in the promise, but also look back and share in the fulfillment of it. We have John 3.16. God so loves the world that he sent his only son. And if we'll just believe in him, we won't have that spiritual perishing. We won't die. We'll have everlasting life with him. We have Romans chapter 10. Romans 10.9 10, where God says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be Saved For it's with your heart that you believe, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith. And in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the new covenant. That's the new promise. All these promises that we've been talking about in the book of Malachi that pointed forward to the first coming of this Messiah, this is our promise to hold on to, that if you believe, if you confess, if you profess faith and belief in Jesus, you will be saved every single day. One of us. That's our promise. That's what we hold on to at Christmas, just like they held on to the promise of that Savior coming in the book of Malachi. Everything you need, everything you long for, everything you're missing is available to you in Jesus. He's the solution. The band's going to come and lead us through one more song. It's called, it's another a uh, song called Light of the World. And there's a part towards the end of it that I really want you to focus on. It, it, it's a great one to sing along with. Please do. would encourage you to do that. Um, but there's a part at the end that says, for all who wait, some of you are in a season of waiting. For all who hunger, some of you have a need that you're just waiting on God to meet. For all who've prayed, some of you might be sitting on unanswered prayers this morning. For all who wonder, some of you are sitting there with that kind of a question. Why me? Why us? Why not me? Why not us? Why are we waiting? Why are we experiencing this thing? Why are we being asked to walk through this? When will this prayer be answered? When will this hunger be met? When will this happen for us? And it says, behold your king. Behold Messiah. God with us. That's the answer. That's what we need. That's what we want. That's what our heart longs for. It's all longing for Him and it's fulfilled in Him. So just process that this morning as the band sings this song. Feel free to sing along. And if you feel led, go ahead and stand and sing with them Light of the World. I'm and... here. They made maybe maybe 15 years ago now, called "The Nativity Story. You can pretty much stream it or rent it everywhere, three bucks, a couple hours of your time. Um, just a great depiction of the journey that God brought Mary and Joseph through. Um, man, what a sacrifice. What a story. It's ridiculous. And yet that is the story that we lean on, right? That is our promise. He came. All the promises that were made were kept. And the story ended up with Jesus showing up on earth, this little baby, God in human flesh, who grew up and made the ultimate sacrifice for us. May you take that with you this week at Christmas. May, be, may you take that with you as you're having your finger foods and your favorite meal. And may you take that with you as you're having your chill time and your rest time as a family. The promises were all kept and every single one you're still holding on to will be kept. Let me pray for you. God, we we just thank you for this time, and and I ask your blessing on each one, each family here this morning, God, that as they go out from here in all our different directions over the next couple weeks, that you would provide safety of travel, that you would provide just amazing times as family, amazing rest. God, give each person here some great sleep over the next couple weeks. God, great meals together with family and friends. And God, at the center of it all, may your Holy Spirit just fill them up. Give them the desires of their hearts, Lord, this Christmas. Thanks for that gift. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.